go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the aisle you can uh, grab up and use. Um, it is not without a little trepidation that I tell you to turn to Revelation. Like, the one time I get to preach eternity, I'm <laughs> preaching from Revelation. The good news is that, you, who's going to tell me that I'm wrong? You know, it's Revelation, what do you do with it? So I've got that going for me. Revelation chapter 15. I really can't um, overemphasize how important all of you have been to me and um, how bittersweet it is to not be with you guys um, now. It, it's it's um, been really tough, but I'm glad that it's hard. Um... Back in 2004, well, first of all, many of you have know that I am a pretty serious Tennessee Volunteer fan. Long-suffering and sometimes insufferable. No, that's not redundant, insufferable Tennessee Vol fan. No, it's, it's not. Back in 2004, they were playing one of our arch rivals, the Florida Gators. And uh, they, were, they were down by seven points with, in the fourth quarter with um, just about five minutes left to play. And um, as they drove down the field, they were able to score a touchdown. And all they needed was an extra point, just that the shortest kick. They just needed that, and the game would be tied, and we could go on to overtime and win this game. Well, James Will Hoyt, their place kicker, came in and um, had made 50 of these things in a row. And with three and a half minutes left in the game, he shanked it. We were down, we're now down by one point. All hope was lost. James Wohoyt left the field with his, hand, with his head in his hands. My, my, uh, my heart was cratering in my stomach, and you couldn't have paid me to ever watch that game ever again. Although the funny thing is, this being college football, Tennessee got the ball back and got kind of close to uh, the, the, the other side of the field with about 13 seconds left, and here comes James Wolhoyd again, the place kicker who had just missed the easiest kick. And with 13 seconds left, from 50 yards away, James Wolhoyd had the, the, the ball snapped, ran up, kicked the ball, it flew through the air forever, and split the goalpost. This guy who had just missed the easiest point, the easiest kick ever, just made the second longest of his, longest of his career. James Wilhoyt and the rest of us went crazy. And um, now, in fact, I may have done this more than once, I can go back and watch that game and know that when he missed that extra point, I still feel kind of awkward, uncomfortable for him, but I know that if it just hangs around a little bit longer, everything's going to change and, uh, and it's gonna, it, there's going to be happiness at the end, at the end, at the end of this, at this, in this viewing. How I saw the ending influenced the hard things that happened in the middle. And uh, we see this in stories all the time. Um, knowing, knowing the ending of the story changes how, what we think about the, field goal, the, uh, the hard part in the, in the middle. We can commiserate with that miserable field goal kicker, but we can know that if he just holds on, just waits a little bit longer, everything's going to be great. The book of Revelation provides for something similar, provides for the church something similar. Um, it's a broad view of how God is going to take all the hard things, 
all of the, all of the difficult things the church is going through, believers are going through, and how he's going to rectify that, how he's going to fix all those things. The book was written to churches who were suffering underneath, or were about to suffer, or were suffering underneath really strong persecution. They were really struggling underneath a, a great weight of, of difficult things, a lot of suffering. In, the, in Revelation, their father was letting them know that though evil may seem to have the upper hand right now, the lamb is still king, and all that is wrong is going to be fixed. Revelation tells us the end of the story. Now, when we read the Revelation, we get some pretty bizarre scenes. You get, you know, a dragon with seven heads. You get uh, a giant angels. We have horses with snakes for tails. You have locusts that look like they belong on the front co- on the album of an '80s heavy metal band. Seals and trumpets and bowls and what do we do with all this? Well, as we, but as we, as we look a little closer, we see that what God is doing, he's painting, or what the author is doing, he's painting with vibrant colors of the ugliness of sin, the certainty of God's judgment, and the beauty of God's sovereignty, and of, of, of God's reign, and of God's holiness. Um, and the author does this by giving us something like trailers, something like, you know, like a movie trailer, when you see that, it's setting the mood for this movie. It doesn't give you the whole movie. It doesn't give you the whole storyline. But it sets the mood. And they have different scenes cut through to kind of help you understand what this movie is about and the, tra- and, and the trajectory that it's going on. And Revelation is full of these types of trailers. Letting us see. We don't get the full picture. But we get glimpses so we can get, we have an understanding of the feel of how God is still enthroned. Even when wickedness is, is, seems to be prevailing in the world. And so this passage that we have this morning is a scene from one of these trailers. It's a scene um, from heaven of a hymn sung by a gathering of saints um, to God. Let's read this text together. Would you stand with me? Revelation chapter 15, we'll read the first four verses. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them... The wrath of God is finished. Then I saw what appeared to be a a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and his image and the number of his name. Standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the land saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the almighty. Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. You can be seated. This, in the two chapters before this one, we kind of get the setting for this, for this, um, this singing that happens in heaven. In chapter 13, it, um, the writer describes a terrible political figure that comes um, that is giving control of the earth. He describes a beast that ascends out of the sea. He's a, he's a creature that's described as having ten horns and seven heads and a, the, feet of, uh, the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. It says that he has blasphemies written on, 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 his, on his head and blasphemous and arrogant words coming out of his mouth. This evil man is, is given global political authority so the entire earth sees him as their dictator. We've been, and there's never been a dictator like this man as presented in chapter 13. In fact, 
he begins to transcend politics. And he becomes this, this uh, religious figure, this deity that everyone worships. That the entire world follows after this man. And they, and they attribute to him healing power. And they attribute to him uh, great power. And they attribute to him, like, who is like the beast, they say. And no dissent is allowed. Revelation chapter 13, verse 7 talks about how that he, the beast sets his attention on the servants of God, on the saints of God. And rather than it, say, than it, than it saying that, that, that he's not able to overcome them, it says, no, he is given the ability to conquer them, to overwhelm them. And this is where we're at. We're at the end of chapter 13. The beast is on the throne. The beast is in charge of the, of the affairs of the world. And the saints of God are being murdered for their faith in Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. And we come here to chapter 15. And we see in the throne room of heaven, the, um, the, the saints of God gathered around this sea of glass, mingled with fire. Before, we had seen how the beast had turned his attention to them. And they had been marginalized and oppressed. They'd been in, imprisoned. They've been tortured. They've been murdered for their faith in Jesus. But what does Revelation 15 say about these saints? It says in verse 2, though also those who had conquered the beast in his image and the number of its name. The beast thought he was conquering them, but even by their death and their faithfulness in death, they were truly conquering the beast. The beast wasn't winning here. They, their victory, just like the Lord Jesus, when it seemed like he had been defeated by the crucifixion, has, uh, uh, was resurrected in victory. So they follow his example. And these saints of God who were murdered and were faithful unto death now triumph, stand triumphantly in heaven. The passage here alludes to um, the Exodus. If you remember in... Um, in, in um, in Exodus chapter 15, the uh, Israelites had just crossed over the Red Sea. God had miraculously opened up. The, the Israelites had crossed over. And now they were looking back and they were seeing the Egyptians, their masters for 400 years, beginning to cross the sea too. And now what were they going to do? Now they didn't have a way to defend themselves against this one of the biggest armies, greatest armies in the known world then. What were they going to do? Well, you remember the story. Moses... Um, lifts his arms, the Red Sea comes crashing back down, back down, and their enemy that they had feared for years and years had been vanquished. This draws in that same illusion. As the saints of God gathered around this sea of glass, they too, just like the Israelites did in Exodus 15 and 16, sing before God. It says here they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Just like the people of Exodus did. In chapter 13, it seemed that the global worship of God was impossible. Everyone was following the beast. Like, all nations were following after the beast. And now it seems, and, and then it seemed like it was impossible that people's hearts would be turned to God. But, here in chapter 15, verse 3 through 4, we see the victorious saints singing of him a worship to God. Um, glorifying him and worshiping him. Look at the text of this hymn. In verses, um, verses 3 and 4. Midway through verse 3, it says, Great, uh, great and amazing are deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. The first thing they, they talk about is they worship God for his power. Surely the beast had a great deal of power, but he didn't have the power to create life. He didn't have the power to think 
of all the things that God has made, uh, that God has made. He didn't have the power to create. But the God of Scripture, the God of the, uh, our God, the God spoken here is a God whose deeds are great and amazing. They talk about his, his character. The beast was one who is corrupt to his core. But of God, it says, just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. God who is not limited like we are. We can think of all the difficult things, like all the matters of, of justice. And we think how hard it is to be completely unbiased and completely, um, and, and completely clear about what, is, about what should or shouldn't happen. But God is not hindered by those limitations. And God is, trust, is just and true and uh, is, is worthy of worship because he uh, is the just one. He is the one who measures things rightly. And then they worship him because what other response could there be when they see God for who he, for who he is? They ask this question in verse 4. Who will not fear, O God, or O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. The saints worship him because... He's, not, he, he's going to be revered and glorified and loved by people from all nations. As God has revealed, people from all over the world will, will see him and treasure him. Not because, like the beast, they were afraid of being punished or because this is the only way they could, um, they could make a living is by, by acquiescing to, the, to the, the government powers and worshiping him. No, they were worshiping God because they loved him, because they valued him, because they saw his transcendence. And they wanted that, and they loved that, and they wanted to follow him. All the nations will come to worship him. He is not a God who is defined strictly by one culture or one nation. He's not the God, simply the God of Israel or the God of, of Western civilization. But he's a God who's worthy of worship of, uh, of people, and who people from all cultures will see as valuable. People from all cultures and all nations and all language will, languages will see that he is worthy of worship. And this happens, as the passage states, because of his righteous acts. It says, for, his, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This includes his righteous acts of judgment. As he judges the world, as, he, as, as we read in Revelation, he judges the world in righteousness. But it doesn't end there. It also includes um, his righteous acts as most clearly seen and Jesus, as Jesus, the, the, um, the epitome of God's justice, the, uh, the display of God's, of God's truth, of God's great and amazing deeds being expressed, expressed no more, in no more greater ways than in the offering of Jesus on the cross and the power of his resurrection, crushing sin and death. As this good news, this gospel is made known, people of all nations People of all languages and, 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 uh, and cultures will see and embrace and worship. And this is the happy ending that we're going for. The beast is not going to win. And all the world is going to worship God. And this is the happy ending that helps us see what we can do with now. Helps us know what we can do with our present. So that's where we come to. So what do we do with this? In the story, the beast loses God, God's worship. So how should we respond? Well, for one, we can endure suffering. Knowing that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. And that's a great comfort. As we 
stuff, suffer with disease or as we suffer with, with um, stress from different circumstances that we face, face in life, we can know that's not the final word. We see the end. We can know, but we, we can endure because, because of what was coming. But and above that, we don't just have to endure, but because we know the end of the story, we can obey in faith. We can obey God in faith. And um, when, when God asks of us hard things, we don't, have to, we don't have to give in. We don't have to, to say, you know, it's just a little too tough. Because we can be obedient to God's call to the top of the nations, knowing that the end result will be triumph. It will happen. So two things to put this, to, to put this, um, this idea, the, this passage into application. First of all, we cannot allow the beast to dictate how we are going to obey our Lord. The spirit of the beast is prevalent throughout the world. And it is seen starkly in Central Asia. Central Asia is the region from Turkey all the way to, uh, to Western China. It includes a lot of the countries that you hear sometimes about on the news, like Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and um, the Caucasus and Iran. Through dictators and governments, through, um, uh, through national identity and cultural norms, and through the prevailing relig- religion of Islam, the beast demands utter allegiance, submission, and worship. And as in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter f- uh, 13, the beast makes war with the saints. Our brothers and sisters in Central Asia are frequently oppressed, frequently arrested, at least marginalized and treated as second-class citizens for their faith in Jesus. Yet, remember, the beast doesn't win. The beast will not overcome them. And we cannot, cannot allow him, we cannot allow the enemy to tell us how we are going to obey our Lord. The beast can't dictate how we are going to be, uh, obey Jesus' command. Je- uh, Jesus said that all authority has been given to him. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And we can't let the enemy tell us that, no, that's too hard. That's too tough. That's too risky. That's too, that's too difficult. That's too, it's too, uh, um, too hard for you to do. We have a responsibility to be obedient to our, our, our Savior. And we can do that because the beast loses. And we have a responsibility for our fellow Christians in Central Asia. They, uh, the, the, uh, the, those uh, handful of Christians that are there to be there, to encourage them, to comfort them, to let them know, to disciple them, to let them know that God loves them, even though things are very hard, and to help them stand fast in their faith. So first of all, the beast shouldn't have the final say in our decisions. Secondly, if our goal is that people from all nations would, 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 would treasure God through his son, Jesus Christ, then we are guaranteed success. As uh, myself, and as Janine, and as as the Novotnys, and as others, as, as, as God takes you to, your, uh, to different places internationally, as God does, do, as, as God does that, we're, we don't have to worry that, are these things going to really happen? Am I wasting my time? If our goal is that God will be worshipped, we have been guaranteed that all nations are going to love and treasure him. And um, so that means that risks for the kingdom's sake aren't really risks. That... It's not like an investment that you make when you make an investment that you have a disclosure of risk that, you know, if we lose all your money, it's not our fault. Um, that's not the way it is in God's work. Risk isn't risk because we know the end. It's not like it's not sure if it's going to pay off or not, but
But when our goal is, for the, is that all nations worship God through His Son, Jesus, we know it's going to happen. And so we can put it on the line. We can know because it's going to happen. It's going to take place. Revelation 15.4 is actually a quote from Psalm 86, a psalm that I, uh, the first trip, my first trip to Turkey, uh, sitting by the Sea of Marmara, watching this Turkish flag fly and seeing the, the blue underneath the early morning, uh, the early morning sun. And this quote, this, uh, this, re- this uh, passage of Revelation quotes from Psalm 86. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, for there are, there, uh, for nor their works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. God is doing a work in the world independent of me and independent of any of us. It is on him to draw people to himself. And right now he is drawing Turks and Kurds and Uzbeks and Tajiks and and Balkar and Nogai and people, all the hundreds of people groups that are around Central Asia. Asia, God is drawing them to himself right now. This is what this because this is his goal that all nations would love and treasure him and his son. So this means that if God is doing this, it changes how we view our homes and our cities, things that we've become comfortable with. It means that we can change how we think about our careers, about our professional futures. It means it changes how that means it means we can leave our family and our friends that have become so incredibly dear to us. Because turn with me to Revelation 21. This is the end that we're headed to. Revelation 21 and verse um, 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For his temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives a light. And his lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the land, in the, in the land book of life. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be, it, will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on the foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp uh, or light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, Central Asia is underneath the curse of God. They are underneath the darkness of Islam. They are in need of healing from the, from the government all down, all the way down to the family structure. The people, of, uh, uh, the people across Central Asia, they need to hear that, um, that, uh, that God himself has a message of peace for them. Freedom from the curse, illumination from the darkness, the healing of the nations must be brought to them through the gospel of Jesus. The good news that the creator God, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, offers forgiveness of sins, resurrection, uh, restoration of honor, 
and power of the forces of darkness. And it's happening. And one day, we, all of us here at Trinity Church, we're going to be together with the Kazakhs and the Kyrgyz and the Turks and the Kurds and the Zaza and all these people groups. And together with them, we are going to be in the New Jerusalem, worshiping our God, and we will sing with these saints, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship him, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And let's pray that God hastens this day. Father, thank you for your word and giving us hope. Thank you that these promises are not going to fall, they're not going to fall short. You're going to make all of this happen. Lord, this is beyond me. This is beyond my power. I'm not extraordinarily gifted. I'm not, um, don't have enough charisma to convince people to, to embrace persecution for Jesus' sake. But your spirit is. We ask that by your spirit, you would do a special work throughout all of Central Asia. That these hundreds of people groups, many of whom have never heard uh, that Jesus is the son of God. Um, we pray that you would bring them to yourself. Um, use our church in a powerful way. May we see um, you through our church uh, uh, present the gospel, present the truth to many, many, many. And do this for the sake of, of your son, Jesus. And we ask these things, not on our own merit, but only because of Jesus. Amen.